Hey everybody, Justin and Tim here. Today we're going to talk about some of the surprising reasons why people leave the church and never come back. The Quiet Reformation is a space of listening for God through the Bible and the body of Christ, desiring change in the church, but without the chaos. This podcast is a small part of the ministry of Netzer. Netzer works intimately with Christian leaders and speaks widely to the church at large about spiritual renewal. We are a donor-supported 501c3 ministry. Please visit netzer.org to donate and find out more. Hey, Tim, what has been your history on church movement? Like, have you basically just been at one or two churches your whole life? Was there a time that you had any experiences where you're like, I got to bounce from this church? Looking back, whether those were for good reasons or bad reasons? Yeah, for me, it's a lot different than, you know, the average person because all of my vocational career has been in ministry pretty much. So even when I was at Bible college and studying, you know, I was in internships at different school or at different churches, and then I've been pastoring different churches, and uh, that's been the the source of my home connection. But the church that I was raised in is the church that I then eventually came back to to replant and to to pastor for a while. Um, so I've never really actually left the church over any big differences or any anything anything like that. But on a regular basis, I'm connected with churches all over the place because I tend to be work because our network we're working with you know all sorts of different churches so i'm pretty much at a different church most sundays how about you justin yeah most of my church movement has been via switching geography so if i moved to vermont you know i went to a church up there if i moved back to pennsylvania was back at the church i currently serve at there was one time on the west coast where naomi and i my wife were part of a mega church part of a leadership team there, part of uh, an internship program. And there was some stuff that went down that wasn't like morally bad. It was more like difference of how we engage the culture and how we organize and those sorts of things. That would have been the only time that maybe I left a church for reasons besides geography. And then the church we actually ended up going to was a church plant that they were doing. So it was kind of like an easy transfer, so to speak, because it was like, well, we're going to go help with this church plant right. over here that was a lot smaller. Uh, but we did have some things we needed to work through as far as uh, with some of the people there that we did and we're in good standing and everything there. But a good portion of people, that's not their experience. And what we're seeing now in the culture is a, a lot of de-church people or the category of nuns and the weird overlaps where they're still Christians or they're not Christians or they go to church, but they don't believe or they don't go to church and they believe all of those different, all of those different things. Yeah. It, we're, we're living in a different place, a different culture than a couple decades ago when it comes to the landscape of Christian faith in America. And that, that kind of sets up our clip for today. So our clip from today is from uh, Think Biblically podcast. This comes out of Biola University, and it's Scott Ray, Josh McDowell, and Ryan Burge. Ryan Berg, I'll say Berg. And he was part of a team that wrote a book about 
people de-churching. And Ryan is a, he's a doctor uh, in socio and political science. And so he shares some of his data points about why people leave the church and the reasons behind why they leave. So let's listen to this short clip and then let's reflect a little bit more about why people leave the church. Sounds good. But you mentioned that half of those who are de-churched are evangelicals. Why do they leave? And what do we know about that segment of the de-churched? Yeah, so the, the, if I could like encapsulate the entire book into like an elevator pitch, it's it's this. It's most people leave for boring reasons, <laughs> which is not a great headline for the back book jacket, you know. But the number one reason that people leave church, evangelical or otherwise, is because they moved. I mean, I think that's like, and by the way, Lifeway just released a report yesterday that said the exact same thing. So this has become like a a finding that replicates now. Uh, people leave because they move, because their schedule changes, because they get married or divorced or have kids or something logistically happens in their life. And they're, they casually de-church. That's what we call them, right? It's not this, like, if you go on Twitter and say, well, I just kind of slid away from church for a long time. I got no issues with religion. I just don't do it anymore. You're going to get no retweets. But if you say, you know, I left church because I came out as LGBT and my church told me I was sinning, then you're going to get all the retweets. Mm. So, you know, the stories that get the most traction are the most sensational stories. The boring stories are the norm. And most people who who leave religion, leave evangelicalism, just casually, they, they were going, you know, once or twice a month for a while. And they're going, you know, once a month and then once every three months and then once every six months. And now seldom or never. It's a slow slide away from religion. And they leave it and they don't look back and go, I, I really want to go back. You know, they don't feel like they've lost anything in their lives for not being in church. And I think that's probably the bigger part of the story is they leave and don't feel some sort of burning urge to get back to religion. See, it seems to me there's a couple ways to interpret that. If they leave and it's just kind of casually leave and then although they don't have a burning to come back, it seems like they'd be open to it. But on the other hand, if that many people are leaving, it makes me wonder how many people sit in our pews if they had similar life change but also disengage, and how much other shallowness is there within the evangelical church. How do you interpret that fact? Oh, that's those are both great, great thoughts about that. Um, I'll give you, you know, non-denominationals, we just talked about them a little bit. I'll talk about a little bit more. I, I have some data on membership movement in, in Protestant Christianity, and the denomination and quote unquote, with the most churn is non-denominationals. And by churn, I mean people coming in and people coming out. Um, non-denominationals have created an atmosphere, many of them have, where it's really easy to get in and it's really easy to get out. Mm. They build very short walls, right? You mm. can come on Tuesday, you come on Sunday, you go on Saturday, you can come sit in the back. We don't, you don't have to sign a contact card. You don't have to join a small group. You can just kind of be here. And that brings a lot of new people in the door but then a lot of people also leave by the side door six months later without anyone knowing that, right? So I think a lot of people are already marginally attached to their congregation, especially in these rapidly growing non-denominational churches. There's a core that's very committed, right? very strong. They're there every Sunday. But around that core is a lot of people who are churning, moving in and out. And when they leave, by the way, they typically go one of two places, another non-denominational or evangelical church or nowhere. So that's, I mean, that's where the movement is happening in, in Christianity right now. You don't see a lot of like Catholic to evangelical. You don't see a lot of like evangelical to none pipeline. People, when they move, they don't move very far from where they came from. It's just they don't build those deep ties 
they're going to slip through the cracks and a lot of churches are not even going to know they're gone until they haven't been there for six or 12 months and go, wait, where did, where'd Joe go? And he's already gone and not coming back. Yeah. There's a couple things to kind of tease out here in, in that clip. And again, you can listen to the full podcast. If you check out the show notes, there's a link in the show notes to the full podcast episode. One of the things, Tim, I wonder if you have any feedback on, th- there's certain church practices from yesteryear, such as church attendance, that at least in the majority of churches that I know, especially non-denominational churches, that's not a thing. And it's almost frowned upon to think about keeping track of who's coming in or marking people down. And yet, what are some good practical things that actually might be part of taking church attendance that we need to rethink rather than just completely throwing it out? Like, how do you think we could lead better in those spaces of noticing people? I remember when I was a kid at Sunday school, I I remember our church would have once a year, like an awards Sunday. And one of the big awards was perfect attendance. Uh, And so it's like a person who never missed, not just church, but like never missed Sunday school for the entire year. Could the pastor be up for that? No, I... I don't think they ever did that, but I don't think the pastor would have even won it. Like, <laughs> uh, but I remember this one guy, uh, Bob Rupert, man, every year, perfect attendance at Sunday school. I'm like, wow, Bob Rupert, like, you know, he was always there faithful. What were the prizes for that? What was it just like, was there like a cash gift or anything or uh, like 10% of your tithe has returned to you or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> I think there might've been actually like a little like gift card or something. I mean, the big thing was, you know, everybody claps for you and gives you, they give you a card. There might've been like a little gift card in there at the local bookstore or something, you know, I don't know. So yeah, I think one of the things though, uh, you know, that's, that's all based in in such a different world than what we mostly experience now. Uh, There's a couple things to pull out even from your question. One of them is when it comes to tracking what's happening in our church, like who's connected with our church and who isn't, it it does take active, administrative, intentional work. And, you know, a, a big church requires an enormous amount of administration. You have to be intentional about what you're giving your administration to. And sometimes for some of us who are analyzing church and asking questions about church like you, Justin, there's a, there's a question for us about the value of administrative leadership in contrast to spiritual leadership. And sometimes we see them dualistically. Like there's those who just do administrative organizational leadership. And then there's those who, you know, spiritually tend to people and care for people. But uh, one of the things that I think we could pull out in this is it's really important that we uh, understand how essential it is to function from a spiritual heart, from a caring, godly heart with good administration. And so if we're going to care for people And if we have more people than one person, like one pastor can keep track of, then we have to figure out like, how how are we going to do that? So that puts us in a spot where we have to uh, see the value of administrative leadership in its ability to spiritually care for people. You know, the other thing that this speaks to, I think, is the idea of attendance on a Sunday morning is what's being tracked across this whole clip that we listened to people leaving the church or being deeply committed to the church is primarily measured in this podcast 
by attendance to a Sunday morning service. For me, that that begs some other fundamental questions about how we view the church and how we view commitment to the church. If the baseline and the bar is set at those who attend a service every Sunday is what it means to be committed to the church, we might ask some other questions about, about that. Given that metric of Sunday morning worship attendance and people attending it or not attending it, you're a local church pastor. I want to ask you, what's that like for you when you're thinking about, I mean, it is still the central touch point for where you see everybody, right? And so what's it like for you still pastoring a local church when, you know, what's it look like? How do you think about that? How do you track what's going on and, and the ins and out people coming in and out? What's that look like for you? There is something to just the practicality of the Sunday morning where we can be together. And, and that's the place where you can, as a pastor or a leader, kind of look out to see who is there and who is not there. It doesn't mean they're connecting deeply in community or, or being really close to the Lord, but there is some kind of tangible touch point there that I think is really good. I think possibly not more so than seeing who's coming in uh, and who's going out, but thinking about the idea of where have newer people come from. Meaning like, as we're thinking about people being de-churched or leaving the church, there's also the idea of the, the church shift or the church transfer. And I think as a local church leader, there's always this thing we need to be asking about what is the history of this person? And are we developing enough relationships within the community of other pastors that it would not be weird and it would not be seen as controlling if Tim Deering all of a sudden shows up at Cornerstone and Tim's a great guy or whatever, but hey, I noticed that he came from Calvary or he mentioned that he came from Calvary. And rather than just being like, um, okay, that's good. Is there a way that I can actually connect with that pastor at Calvary to be like, hey, uh, how is your relationship with Tim Deering going? Or ask Tim, how's his relationship with his previous church? So there is something not just about in the de-churched and keeping your eyes on who's there and not there, but also where, where have they come from? And I would hope on the opposite end, if somebody is leaving, there would almost be this net of a broader church relationship for somebody to reach out to me from another church to be like, hey, I noticed that this other person that used to come to Cornerstone is coming here. What might be a way that seeing ourselves as one church or connected somehow that we could better shepherd this person and knowing more about their story? So there is a, an aspect of the broader church that goes into the, the great de-churching and how how we think about people not showing up or showing up on a Sunday morning. Yeah, it's really good. And I, you know, you've done a great job of that, uh, having connections with the other pastors in your city. I think one of your convictions is that we're shepherding people, not just because we want this organization to be healthy or because we want our local church to grow in numbers, but because our job as as pastors and shepherds is to help disciple people, to help them walk through the sanctification process, both in community and individually. It's important to, as much as possible, to kind of keep track of the narrative of a person's life with them and stand with them in that narrative and say, how's this working out? Walking with Christ and in community with his, with his people. And, you know, if there's any major breach of fellowship, is that something that can have reconciliation or is that something that really requires separation? I mean, certainly if there's abuse or if there's really toxic uh, situations, there's moments definitely to leave a church for reasons of unhealth in a church. 
but sometimes we can also quickly leave without dealing with issues that are actually a great opportunity for discipleship and sanctification. That kind of ministry is is basically reactive, meaning somebody shows up and then there's the reactive question, the response question about like, what is their spiritual narrative? Where did they come from? But I also wonder, how can we be proactive in helping to spiritually form our people to really value not just the local expression of their community, which they're in, which is could be great, but to also value the broader aspect of being in community with other believers, regardless of where they're at. And the reason I bring this up is really tangible. There have been seniors in high school, freshmen in college, that as they go, even if it's just a, a county away or it's another state, trying to ask them, like, how are they connecting with a Christian community or a church? More than one time, they said, well, like, we really like the way Cornerstone does stuff. That's like both a compliment and it's also like kind of missing the point of what we were hoping to convey about the church, right? And it's this thing was like, I don't want your good experience at our local church or the tradition of what you're comfortable with to actually be a deterrent for the future of plugging in with the body of Christ in another place. Yeah, it's really good. I, you know, um, this is the advantage of being able to be in a relational geographic based cross-denominational network like Netzer is that uh, we're actively working at this. So in the local church setting for a pastor or elder, we're wanting to continue to communicate the value that the identity of being a follower of Christ tied also to the function of being connected to a body of Christ. And so when we're baptized into Christ, we're understanding even from our basic understanding of Christian faith, that that means we're not just coming into Christ, but we're becoming a part of his body and we're joining his family. We've moved from understanding baptism as a sign of we're becoming a part of a family to having to create church membership because baptism itself became a spiritual ritual that didn't necessarily mean we were connected with that local local body. It was more of like a big personal expression, but not necessarily a communal one. So then we needed to put church membership in place in order to show, okay, well, you've been baptized, but you're still a member of this body. And then we got past that into the place where we don't really do membership anymore. So the teaching side of it, it's really important that we teach a relationship with God is intertwined with a relationship with his family. And, and they're, they're unique. The individual part of our relationship and the corporate part of our relationship, but they're deeply intertwined and they're made to function together. And that should be a huge part of what we teach on a regular basis. And that the gospel is bringing us not just into reconciliation with God, but into reconciled relationships with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And to the extent that we live in that, we reveal God's glory. So I think that's one thing. It's just leaning into that, teaching that a bunch. The second thing is helping people to experience and see the wider body of Christ as a part of what we're attached to. I know at, at my local church, the church that I used to pastor, um, but it's still our home church. One of the practices, a regular practice, it, it's already happened a few times this year, is that they'll take a group of people from our church. And you guys used to do this at your church. They'll take a group of people uh, from the church and send them to another local church for that Sunday to go experience that congregation. And as much as possible, we do that in a, in a to a congregation that's very different than our own expression of church. And then we say, you know, give to them while you're there, pray for them while you're there, like 
fully participate while you're there, bless them and experience that. And and then on Sunday mornings, we're, we're regularly praying for other churches from up front, you know, for the other churches. And so just trying to build that sense of this is our family. We're all part of it. And, and it is important to have a local church body to not just be constantly transient because you have to be able to be known and you have to be able to know others. And, and uh, so that uh, sanctification process happens in community. And so there has to be closeness. But then when we're doing outreaches in our community, let's partner with other congregations in doing that to the extent that we can be efficient and partnering with the rest of the body of Christ. The more we can do that, the more uh, you know our people get to experience working in tandem with the rest of the body of Christ. And then hopefully, you know, our college students and and others get to experience that like, okay, I'm used to kind of connecting with the rest of the body of Christ. And I have a belief system that I need to be covenantally connected with a church body. So now if I'm going, if I'm moving somewhere else, I have the conviction that I got to be connected with a local body and I have the comfortability of connecting with a body that's different than the one I'm used to. Do you have any other closing thoughts about the clip we just heard before we jump off the podcast? You know, as they were talking about the churn in non-denominational churches, particularly in a larger um, church, you need that administration that's in place that tracks people, you know, and it continues to check in with them and that sort of thing. And a small group system can be really helpful with that. If people are plugged in with small groups, there's some community that catches them or whatever. But I think one thing that's really important too is to understand that people need to not just come to a service and people need to not just have some relationships and friendships, but people actually need ongoing discipleship. And part, a big part of what it means to be a part of a church is there's also spiritual authority that's discipling us and mentoring us. And when you look at the big leaders in scripture, uh, like Paul or like Moses or especially Jesus, there's a scalability to their shepherding. It's not all one-to-one -one shepherding. In each situation, they're expecting there to be a pool of leadership that's connecting with others and helping lead them. And a, a part of what we are missing in many situations in the church right now is the ability to disciple a, a group of people with a variety of leaders. And then when people go missing, they, it may be that they weren't plugged into a small group and so their community doesn't catch them, but that might be because they never had a leader who was helping them get there. And so there's a difference between being connected to community and being discipled. And there's a difference between attending a, ser a service and being connected to community. So I think those are just important things for pastors and leaders to think and pray about. What does it look like for our people to be discipled? Again, you can check out the show notes for a link to the full podcast that you heard the clip from today. Take some time this upcoming week and reflect on where you feel like you are connected or not connected in your local body and how you view the church? Is it something that you're just connecting to through tradition or through habit? How is God calling you to make a deeper commitment to him through the expression of the local church? So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and we'll catch you next week.